Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Thank you. Yeah, I'm back. Uh, so, um, so I'll stop. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but I'm not going to let you off the hook with, uh, with polite applause. Let's try this again. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Sweet. Awesome. There we go. Well, um, this morning we're going to start a new series leading up into Christmas called Unto Us. But before we get there, I, I want to, to tackle, if I could, uh, the elephant in the room. Uh, let me just talk uh, just for a few minutes, if I could, about everything that's gone on. Um, as most of you know, uh, if you're new here or you don't know, then I'm sorry. This is going to be kind of a kind of a bummer and confusing for the next few minutes. But um, I am a divorced man. Um, been divorced for a while. Um, obviously, this uh, didn't just happen overnight. It, it kind of went on for for years, built up, and then finally kind of exploded. I'm not going to go into the to the details because I'm not going to I'm not going to trash my my, my ex wife. Um, who is the mother of my child and a devoted mother. Uh, She's in medical school, and she's going to do wonderful, I know. Um, You know, I I understand that, you know, it's been a weird year. And for for, for me, this has been kind of turmoil that's been going on for a long time, and and, and Rick knew about it, Mom and Dad knew about it, but not a lot of other people really knew about it. So for you, it's just kind of a boom. Where did this come from? For the rest of us, this has been going on for some time. And I, I know, I'm sure, that... For a lot of you, because of the rumors and, and, and all gossip and people leaving in the church because of the rumors and gossip and believing the rumors and gossip and all that other kind of stuff, um, you know, I know many of you are just like, oh, my goodness sakes, drama. You know, i got enough drama in my life. I don't need drama at church. Can't we go back just like a year ago when things were normal? Uh, there weren't rumors about the preacher. Donald Trump was just a reality TV star. <laughs> Bruce Jenner was wearing pants, um, you know. When the world made sense like a year ago. Um, and I understand all that. I really do. I, I don't mean to cause any, any drama. I, I tell you, you know, um, I, the thing that really upset me and hurt me was just that, you know, the people who left, uh, who decided to leave the church, and quite a few did, um, hardly any of them came and spoke to me uh, about it. You know, God bless them. They really are all, you know, I, I love them all. I really do. I love all of you most of the time. Um, I, I really, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, a lot, a lot of them, you know, left. And I, I just wish they would have come to me, you know. And I think that if there's one thing I would just beg of you all is that, you know, Scripture is very clear that if there's something going on that bothers you in the church, if, whether it's a rumor or whatever, you need to go to that person and, and gracefully talk to that person one-on-one. Don't spread rumors, just buy into rumors. Go talk to the person. Just go sit down and, and, and talk to the person. And I am more than happy um, to answer any of your questions one-on-one. If there's something where you can, you can Facebook me, you can just come up to me, you can, and it, it's fine. You know? Usually right after sermon is not a really good time because I get all jazzed up. And so you know, and, um, I'm kind of jacked up as it is. And so you know, you, it's probably not a great time. But you, know, you want to have coffee at the lofts, you want to you know, discuss this, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer any questions if there's something um, bothering you. 
um, you know, I'll tell you that, like I said, you know, mom and dad, Rick, they all looked into this and, and decided to, to keep me on staff. And, and um, so that should tell you a lot without going into too much detail. But I, one of the questions that has been raised, not directly to me, but I, I've heard it, um, and it's a very good question, is, yeah, but can a divorced person even be a pastor? Um, that's a fair question. And where I'm going to go real quick is over to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Now, what you have in your bulletins is really a real literal rendering of the Greek. Um, what you know, most of you may not probably do know is that the New Testament was written in what's called Koine Greek. And so to really understand it, you have to really, you have to really study some Greek. And you know, Greek's not an easy language to, to learn. And unfortunately, there's some terms that could be go either way, and we kind of make judgment calls. And so, but what is before you there comes from two different authorities. One is actually my New Testament Greek professor, uh, Dr. Osborne, retired now from Abilene Christian University, had two doctorates, uh, one doctorate in New Testament from Vanderbilt, one doctorate in classical Greek from the University of St. Andrews, sharp guy. And in our third-year Greek, we would go over difficult texts, you know, texts that people struggled with, and we would, we, and this was one of those that we did. And so th- some of this is from his class. The other is from this book, if you want to pick it up, if you have some questions, and, and you say, you know what, I'm not sure I trust Matt on that, then that's fine. There's a book just simply called Divorce and Remarriage by a guy named William Luck, who's a New Testament scholar who jumped into the issue. So and you can look at that. And that's where this comes from, this rendering of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This is pretty much a literal rendering of the Greek. It says this, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, uh, that's the literal, but it all, that what he's saying there is pastor, pastor, elder, something like that, a church leader. It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach or not deserving of rebuke. Now, as scholars will tell you, what comes next is how he defines being above reproach. If he meant above reproach in the sense that nobody has ever said a bad word about him, there's never been any gossip about him, then Jesus couldn't be a pastor. Because they called Jesus, if you remember your New Testament, a glutton and a drunkard. Remember? They said even worse things about Paul everywhere he went. Paul wouldn't hit these standards, right? So he, but he's going to define what those are. He says... And this is the real important one. A one-woman man. Now, many of your Bibles will say a husband of one wife. That's a possible interpretation, but not a likely one. And the reason is the word for Greek word that is, we translate for husband is also the Greek word for man. The Greek word for wife is also the Greek word we translate for woman. It's the same word, so it can be either one. And the reason it's unlikely is it's a husband of one wife is that it means that if, if your wife dies... And you get remarried, you can't be a pastor. What sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense, right? So what it's saying is is a one-woman man, because here's what the culture was at the time. And this is is a little seedy and graphic, and I apologize for that. But in the day and age Paul was running around the Roman Empire, here's how things went if you were a dude. All guys were expected to be married by the time they were at least 30, usually much younger. Usually sometimes between 16 and 30, you were to be married. Marriages were arranged by the families. So your, your parents chose your spouse. That's how it went down. And the culture pretty much said that, okay, once you have your spouse, your spouse is there to have your babies and to take care of the house. But it was commonly accepted in both the Greek and Roman cultures that that was your home life. You had your fun at the temple drinking 
and hanging out with the prostitutes. Prostitution was legal and was culturally accepted. What Paul is saying here is, in order to be a pastor, no one could run off to the prostitutes. That no matter what the culture said, that was unacceptable. That to be a pastor, you have to be faithful to the wife you have. That is all he's saying. And so, then he goes on and he says, you know, self-controlled, thoughtful, respectable or modest, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or violent, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well by keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, again, the difference then and now is this. Then, the reason he's saying that he's got to be able to manage his kids well, he's not, he hasn't got the kind of kids that like crawl up the aisles at like Kroger's and are screaming anarchy and all that kind of stuff like you see, right? Like Ricky Bobby's kids. I mean, it's not it, it, those kind of kids. Today, that's pretty common, unfortunately, because today you can get thrown in jail for spanking a kid, right? In the first century, a father had life and death power over his children. He could actually kill his child. He could do the Bill Cosby line, I'll take you out, doesn't bother me, I'll make another one look just like you, right? And so Paul is saying, if you have life and death power over children and you can't keep them under control, you ain't a leader, right? That's all he's saying there. And so there's a big difference in application today. And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Pastors should not be new converts because the moment somebody tells him what a great preacher they are, they get a big head, right? I never had that problem because my father always told me how much I stink. And that's okay. I repay the compliment. And, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. In other words, the people you were trying to evangelize. Paul did not have a good reputation with a lot of people inside the church. Go read Galatians. Go read, I mean, he's, he's got people left and right, bad-mouthing him and all the other kind of stuff, questioning his credentials as an apostle, all that kind of stuff. And Paul, Paul's not worried so much about them. Paul is worried more about the people who claim they don't know Jesus and how are we going to get them to know Jesus. And the funny thing about being divorced is going through all this and all the rumors and gossip, is that I've had more non-believers come to me to talk to me than I have believers. And all of them, very nice, supportive, and so forth. And it's actually opened up conversations about church, ironically enough. So, that's where it is. I am divorced. I have recently started, you know, became Facebook official, uh, dating a young, beautiful young lady over there. Um, and, you know, that's probably going to lead to another marriage at some point. Um, and so just so you know that, and I feel comfortable with that. I hope you do too. If you don't, then you need to let me know because I'm, I'm not going to hurt. I'm not going to do anything. I will not do anything intentional to hurt this church. I not only just grew up in that church, just church, I was a fetus in this church, right? My mom sat in the pews in the, in the little ugly red chairs we used to have in 1972 with me in her belly. All right. And so I have been here a long time. And even when I was a horrible, ornery atheist, when I declared myself an atheist at 15 and spent the next 10 years, you know, I, from 19, roughly 87 to 1997, I partied like it was 1999, you know, and I, I was a complete idiot and all that other kind of stuff. Even then, 
Even though I didn't believe in God, if you would have asked me about Christ Community Church, I would have become very defensive and very, even though I was jealous at times how much time and energy my mom and dad focused on this church, I always would say that church is filled with loving people. And by and large, that is still true. And there were people that when I was a, a hardcore atheist would come and see me, would knock on my door very early in the morning. And I was a heavy drinker back then, so early in the morning was dangerous. But they would knock on my door, and they would come see me and say, boy, what are you doing? You know, it would people like you, many of you don't know, Ray Thompson and Mr. Schaefer and Harold Dix and all these other, you know, these people would come, and, 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 and they really would just, they really tried to take care of me. They were loving people. Some of you may remember Miss Francis. Miss Francis, um, was a wonderful member of this church, sweet old lady, and she kept trying to bring me back in. She was so gentle about it. When I ran away from home and everything, she'd call me. And, and, and back then, we did not have caller ID. This was the Stone Age, right? This was the 80s. Um, we still had, you know, VCRs and everything, right? And so, and she would call me, and I'd pick up the phone, and I'd hear, honey, right? Because she had this deep Alabama accent, and, and, and what are you doing, honey, you know? And she was so sweet, and she was so, I would never do anything to intentionally hurt this church. If, if I think that you know, that's going to happen. If, it, if it's going to split a church, then I'm out. I'm, 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 I'm gone, and I will go, and I wish you well, and that's fine. But if, but if we can be healthy and we can do God's work together with me as a part of the preaching team and so forth, then let's just do it. Okay? And speaking of preaching, now let's get, now we've got all that behind us. Let's get to the sermon. Um, Isaiah 9. Let's go to Isaiah 9, 6 and take a look at that. Can we throw that up there, guys? And we'll kick off this new sermon series. (laughs) There we go. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, which means we're not talking about a, just a man, right? We are now, well, Isaiah is prophesying about Christ, about Jesus. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the question that this raises here, the question that, that Rick gave me to answer his is, okay, we all agree, all Christians agree this is talking about Jesus Christ, but who's the us? Who did Jesus come to save, and then what did Jesus come to do with those he did save? Who? Who is the us? Um, now, this is, if you go into, get in with a bunch of theology geeks, you go to a Bible college or a seminary or something like that, and you will quickly find out that there are basically two camps over here. One camp is the Calvinist camp, and the Calvinist camp basically says that before the world began, before time began, God said, okay, I'm going to create these people. They're all going to be rotten, stinking sinners. All of them are going to deserve hell because all of them are going to rebel against me. But because I am gracious, I'm going to take my spirit and throw my spirit down, and I'm going to save a handful of people, not because of anything they have done, but simply because I am merciful, and this is the elect. 
That's what Calvinists believe. Whether you believe that or not, I don't really care. That's what Calvinists believe. Arminians and Molinists on the other side believe that, no, what God did was before the world was made, before time, God foresaw that there would be a certain people that he would create all people free. And, but certain people would respond to his offer of faith. And he went ahead and decided to go ahead and make this world knowing that these people would freely choose, which is why they are predestined. And so you have this difference of opinion among church leaders, among theologians. Either God chose some people or, God, or some people freely chose and God foresaw that. And that's the us that the Bible is talking about. Now, here's the problem with that. Any way you fall into that, or even if you're just agnostic on it, say, I don't know. The only people who actually absolutely positively knows the answer to that 100% is God. And the only, people, only person who knows who the us is at the end of time is God. We don't know. Even Calvinists admit, we don't know who the elect is. Which means that for practical purposes, you share the gospel with everyone. You, may, you don't know whether you're Calvinist or Arminian. You have to act, live your life day to day as if Jesus came for everyone. And everyone means everyone. Think of the person you can't stand. That one too. Right? For every one. I have my own opinions on that, but the, the, it's an academic debate. At the end of the day, to live a life as a Christian, we see every single person who does not profess Jesus as Lord as someone who needs Jesus as their Lord. And we need to help get them there. Now, I, I am a big believer that if you want to be really effective at this, you need to prepare. And I'm talking about really, really good at it. And some people are really, really good at it. Rick, for example, is really, really good at it. So I would encourage you to prepare, even though like 80, 90% of the time, you'd be shocked at how easy it is just to get somebody to church. All you really have to do is to invite him to church. And Dad and Rick and or Andrew or I, somebody, we'll do the rest. All you got to do is get them in here, right? And, and according to studies, the majority of people who don't go to church will go to church if you just ask them. It's that easy. Just ask. Hey, I go to Christ Community Church. You want to go? The one with all the rumors? Yeah, that one. It would be fun. Come on. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> but if you want to be really good at this, and because you're going to encounter people, even here in Cider County and in Greenup and on Lewis County and, so, and wherever you're at, you will encounter people that 20 years ago you would not have encountered with beliefs you would not have encountered. When I lived in Minford, my next door neighbor who drove a pickup truck, was whiter than mayonnaise on Wonder Bread, <laughs> believed in reincarnation, was essentially a Hindu. That's an interesting conversation to have with a redneck. <laughs> right? And if you don't do some preparation, you're just going to kind of stammer around. And, Ooh, I don't know. Preparation is important. 
And since I've already laid my heart out there, I'll just tell you an embarrassing story about the need for preparation. I, when I was 24, something like that, uh, I was working on Capitol Hill. I was having all kinds of health problems. I wasn't a believer. I went to a couple of doctors. I couldn't get a satisfactory explanation about what was going on. Finally, I was home. Somebody said to go see a doctor at, up at SOMC, so I went. And this doctor is a colorectal specialist. I did not know what that meant. I did not know what an examination like that entailed. They told me to put the little robe on. I said, okay, you know, no big deal. I had, I had I'd been in the hospital, you know, when I was in college, you know, freshman in college with a tonsil thing. I had an abscess on my tonsil. They made me, made me put a robe on then, too. So I was like, oh, maybe this is an insurance thing. Okay, fine. Put the robe on. Get up on the table. He says, all right, turn around. I was like, all right, I was going to check my back. Was he got a light or something? I don't know. No. <laughs> no. Three seconds later, I was like, stranger danger, stranger danger. Um, <laughs> I was not prepared for Dr. Jellyfinger, and um, <laughs> I wish I had been. Preparation is a good thing. Knowing what is to come is a good thing, right? Knowing what you're about to get into is a good thing. And so I, I would encourage you, there's a great book, by the way, out there called Tactics, uh, by a guy named Greg Kukul, K-O-U-K-L. Great book on how to interact with people who, who aren't believers. But I, I believe in preparation, even though most of the time it's just as easy as saying, hey, you want to come to church? I go to this church. You want to come to church? That easy. And then the preaching team is happy to do the rest. And if, if it's, you know, if the students, Andrew and Rachel will take care of the rest. We'll take care of that. Just get them here, Right? But that's not all Jesus came to do, and that's not all what the us is supposed to be. According to John, 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came not just to save, but to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I don't know if you've been watching the news, and I know sometimes you just have to turn off the news because you just get depressed, right? But there's a lot. The devil is very, very active these days, right? In San Bernardino, Syria. Do you know one of the leading, you know, Rick has mentioned this before, and this is one of Megan's passions, so I hear this all the time. Do you know one of the leading sex slave trading areas is in Ohio. Toledo is one of the leading areas of, of sex trafficking in the world. There's a lot of evil out there. And Christians are called not just to invite people to church, not just to come to church, not just to learn, but to destroy the works of the devil, to get our hands dirty and jump in and do something to help push back. And so, now that's one of the reasons why the church here, we have like Project Angel Tree, which we're pushing right now. We go and we buy presents for, for the children of, of people in prison and, and we give the presents to the kids in the name of that prisoner so they can have a Christmas. 
We, we do things like single parents fair. We, we you know, do things like the baby rescue mission. We do things like work camp. We do all those things to destroy the work of the devil, but that's not enough. It's not enough. We are all called to go and do our part. And each one of us has a passion in that. One of my passions is saving unborn lives. I'm, I'm a big advocate. I'm, I'm a part of the pro-life movement. Um, and so a few weeks ago, you may have seen that I put on Facebook that I was in Chicago and there was something big going on and I needed your prayers. Um, now, this past week, I, I had to block probably about 30 people on Facebook because I learned that no matter what I say on Facebook anymore, now it starts rumors and gossip. Some people were saying I was there because I was dying. I wouldn't go to Chicago to die, folks. Um, <laughs> Key West, maybe, but not Chicago, okay? Um, and, you know, other people, they, they just all kinds of rumors started. But, but the reason I was there was I, I had a meeting, and myself, I was leading one group. There were four other groups, and we met with 18 multimillionaires to raise money to defund Planned Parenthood. And it looks like that is going to happen. And... And even if, even if you're pro-choice, which I disagree with, understand Planned Parenthood is just a criminal organization. The videos that we have, that the group I work for is Alliance Defending Freedom. We helped get those videos. If you watch those unedited, unedited videos, it's disgusting. I mean, they are literally talking about doing one partial birth abortions, which are illegal, and doing partial birth abortions in order to harvest organs and sell them, which is also illegal. It's a criminal organization. We've shut down 150 clinics for fraud. Fraud. Because one of the things they'll do is they'll buy birth control pills for a buck, sell them to a young woman for $3, and then bill the federal government $35. They've been doing that for years. Now, folks, that's called fraud. Okay? That's defrauding the federal government. Um, and so we've been going after them, and hopefully we will be successful in that. And if so, one, about one-fourth of all abor abortion clinics in the United States will close. And that's a good thing. And so, you know, that's my small little part in this. But everyone should have that. You know, my girlfriend Megan's passion is, the, is stopping sex life. She's, she does raises, she's raised money for international justice mission. She's, done, she's fought for that. That's her passion. You need to find yours. No matter what it is. And you say, well, I haven't got time and I haven't got money. You ha you, look, folks, Pray. Just pray. You know, I, I, and I, was, I was teaching a class at Ohio Christian University about a week and a half ago, and this young woman says, what can we do to help you? Because we haven't got money, and we're, we're broke college kids. And I said, I said, you can pray, can't you? And they kind of looked at me. I was like, look, don't discount prayer. You're talking about going to the throne room of God and asking the all-powerful God to move and having that kind of access. That's not a little thing, Right? That's why we're here, is to destroy the works of the devil. We are saved, not just to be something, but to do something. To be something in the world. To serve our king in destroying the works of the devil. That's what we're called to do. I think you've figured out that my, like my mom's passion is, is Uganda and the baby rescue mission there. That's what she wants. And it's important that when we do this, we do it the right way.
Whether it's walking across the room to, to try to save somebody, bring them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, whether it's pushing back against the evil that's in the world and, and doing something, whether it's feeding someone, helping someone, doing that, we have to do this with a gracious, Christ-like attitude. I had coffee with this one kid. Um, he had come to know me because I had taught a class at Shawnee State, and he was in the class, and we got to know each other, and we were, he had become an agnostic. And he became an agnostic because of Christians trying to evangelize him. And he just got to the point where he, one Christian, because he looked at this person he was talking to, this person who was trying to bring him to, to, uh, uh, to faith, he was really trying to convert him to a specific type of theology. And, and the guy goes, you know what? He said, I just, I don't know. He said, one of the things I struggle with is I've just never had this moment where it seemed to click and I just really just kind of really fell in love with God. And the guy looked at him and said, well, you're probably not predestined and so you're probably going to hell. But guys, you can't just say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and walk in with like both middle fingers up and like, ah, that doesn't work. You've got to show some grace and some love and look at the way Jesus did it. How did Jesus come to fight? One, he humbled himself, right? Jesus humbled himself, humbled himself from the very beginning. Understand, as we go into Christmas, he left a throne for a manger for others. For you. He humbled himself from the beginning. He never had much. He was willing to be labeled a fool. He didn't care about whether or not certain people who were never going to listen respected him. He didn't care. The church has always gotten in trouble when it's tried to impress um, those outside the church who will never come to the church. Always. We've always gotten ourselves in trouble that way. And I hate to tell you this, we are, we are no longer a Christian nation in the sense of the majority of people who influence our nation are Christian. We're not. The majority of people in our nation are pagan. The way I like to tell people is, you know, if you still have this mentality that we're in the 1950s, understand, we're no longer in Jerusalem, we're in Babylon. We are a minority people, and increasingly we are being labeled not only as foolish, but dangerous. And if you don't believe me, go to a college campus sometime and just talk to a few people. And we have to be willing to be labeled that and do so without getting defensive and nasty about it. And finally, we have to sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed everything. Obviously, on the cross, he sacrificed everything, but he sacrificed constantly. It's going to require sacrifice. And I, I understand, look, I, I'm one of those guys that I, I'm happy to write your cause a check. I'm not the happiest person to have to go and volunteer. I like comfort. I like my couch. My couch likes me. My couch doesn't judge me. It just loves me. Right? Today, my couch and I will be watching football, and all will be right with the world. Right? I like that. But the simple fact is, if we're going to go out and fight, destroy the works of the devil, it's going to be mean getting off the couch and moving. So our mission at the end of the day is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all and to love all. And if you want really, because I don't want to go over, but if you want kind of practical ways to, to, 
to see this. I, I put a couple things there for you to go Google. Um, look up the Polish priest Maximilian Kolbe, K-O-L-B-E. It's in there in your bulletin. Look up his story. The other one is um, the story of uh, Frank Jenner, and I'm going to end with that. Frank Jenner is a guy that many of you probably not know. Some of you may have seen the YouTube video because it went kind of viral for a little bit. But that's Frank Jenner. Now, Frank Jenner was a businessman in Australia, Sydney, I believe. George Street had a shop in George Street, Sydney, Australia, if, if memory serves. Now, a preacher in Britain, and Britain's far away from Australia, right? A preacher in Britain is preaching to his church, and he opens it up for testimonials. You remember when, you know, old school, if you grew up in a small church, they'll have a time where somebody can give a testimonial, come up, talk about how they came to Christ, and all that other kind of stuff, and you never give them the mic because they'll go on for an hour and a half. But they had this testimony, and the person came up and said, well, I was in the British Navy, and I was in Australia, and we shipped in Australia, and I was walking down the street in George Street, and a little old man walked up to me and said, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell, and handed me this little pamphlet on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I, I, I didn't know what to say, I didn't say a word to him, I just took the pamphlet, and I walked off, I got on the ship, I read it, I got down on my knees, and I, I became a Christian, and in this little church of about 80 people, one guy pops up and goes, that happened to me too. As I was in Sydney, Australia, and I was walking down George Street, and that little old man came up to me and asked me the very same question and gave me that piece of paper. And I read it, and I, I too, became a Christian. And then a guy had a, had, had a buddy who had a church in, in, in Brisbane, Australia, and asked him to come there and preach a revival service. So he went to the revival service a couple weeks later, and he flies all the way to Australia, and he's in Brisbane, and he's preaching in the church, and he tells about this testimony. He says, this little old man saved two people in my church. And before he was done, a guy pops up in that church and goes, that man saved me too. I was walking down George Street, and that guy comes up to me and said, if you die tonight, do you know whether or not you go to heaven or hell? And handed me a paper, and I've been a Christian ever since. And the guy's like, wow, what are the odds of this happening? And so he's flying back, he's flying back to England. He makes a stop off in the British Isles, and, and he's meeting with a chaplain in the British Navy. Somebody said, you should get to know this guy. They didn't know each other well, but they set up this lunch, and they get together, and they sit down. And, of course, the talk between two pastors always comes up, how did you come to the faith? And the guy goes, well, I was in the British Navy, and I was in Sydney, Australia. And I was walking down George Street. And a little old man came up to me and said, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? And he handed me this gospel tract, which I thought was just a piece of trash, but I read it on the ship. I not only became a Christian, I became a chaplain, and God has used me to bring hundreds of people in the Navy to the faith. He ran into person after person after person. And finally said, I've got to get to Sydney, Australia, to George Street. And eventually he did. And the pastor began to ask around. said, do you know this man? There used to Because he looked around. There was no little old man walking up. And he said, oh, my goodness, I hope he hasn't died. I really want to get And so he finally said, yeah, I know who that guy was. He had a little shop here. And he would go out. He did it for decades. He would go out at least three times a day. And he would go and he'd walk up to complete strangers and ask them the same question, hand him these gospel tracts. He said, I know where he lives. He's very frail. He's very old. He can't even really get around without help anymore. And so he found out where he was, went to his apartment, knocked on the door. It took a while for... Someone to answer. He finally answered. Frail man, hunched over, shaking. Invited the pastor in without even really knowing who he was. They sat down. He poured him tea. Because, you know, as much as I love our British and Australian neighbors, they're not real men. They don't drink coffee. They drink tea. But anyway, he pours him some tea. And the pastor begins to tell him. said, let me tell you how you came into 
my life. Tells him about his church. Tells him about going to Brisbane. Tells him about the chapel. The old man starts to cry. He said, you know, I did that for 40 years. When I came to Christ, I made a vow that every day I would share the gospel with someone if I could. And so for 40 days, I had my little shop. And every break I got, I would go out onto the street and I would ask people that question. And I would hand them leaflets. Most people were quite rude. Some of them were pretty nasty. And he said, but until today, no one ever told me that anyone had come to Christ for what I did. For 40 years, he went out and did that, and he never knew that he had been God's instrument to bring hundreds of people to Jesus Christ, and they had brought thousands of people to Jesus Christ. Now, you probably before this morning did not know that man's name, but I tell you this, that man is a hero in heaven. And there will be a day when you wish more than anything that you were more like him. And what mom and dad and, and, and Rick and Cindy and, and myself and Megan and, and Andrew and Rachel and everyone here wants is for you to be that. That to be able to stand before the throne one day and know that you just took that walk across the room, that you were willing just to walk across the room to somebody you didn't know and invite them to church and that you were the instrument God used to save that person and bring them into an eternal life with him, that you were the instrument to go out and, 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 and feed a person's belly that's, that's cramping because they're so hungry. That you could do that. We want you all to be able to do that in humility and in love and in grace. We want it all for you. I don't know who the us Jesus came to save is. Neither do you. But I know what the us is supposed to do. And it's supposed to share the gospel with everyone and love everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. There are many people here who know you because perhaps someone just walked across the room and invited them here or maybe their parents were good enough to make sure that they knew the gospel message. And what I ask is that you'll bless all of us who have been saved with a heart and passion to serve as well. To share the message. To serve others. To do so in a Christ-like way. So that we may destroy the works of the devil and be your instrument to populate heaven. As we build up to celebrate the coming of your son in Christmas, may we remember that it's not about the gifts we give that are so quickly forgotten, but about the salvation we have and the promise you've given us that if we will take that step in faith out to share and to sacrifice, your spirit will be with us. You will not abandon us. You will be there. I pray that we all will take up some kind of fight to destroy the works of the devil and share your love with everyone for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church, thank you so much for having me. It's my privilege.
God bless you. God goes with you. Go watch the Bengals beat the Browns. See? <laughs> Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.